welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. How are you? I am good. Good. Well, it's early November, which means it Halloween just happened. It is. Yep. Yep. I ate How my hand. It? I ate so many Snickers bars. Do you steal your kids' candy? Uh, I don't steal it, but I do tax them. Oh. Yeah. What's that? What's that tax like? I, I just take. I steal candy. <laughs> wow. You steal candy. Okay. Well, that hey, that's that's. Uh... No, actually, what we do is we let our our kids get to keep. Well. Daxton's too small to keep any candy, but Lucas keeps, I don't know, a certain number of, I have to ask Amanda what number he gets to keep, and we give the rest back. Um, our dentist buys candy back by the pound oh, for a dollar a pound. Okay. Yeah. So that's what we did. But um, that reminds me that, because um, sometimes you could tax kids for mm-hmm. candy, like we just mentioned, mm-hmm. right? And that reminded me that it's time to start thinking about tax planning for wow. people, right? Wow. Was that a fun segue? That was a great segue. Oh, it's so good. Was that it was intentional? So cheesy. That, that was, gosh. So yeah. good. We'll work on we'll work on our segues. So just like Dax is trying to, uh, you know, kids are trying to get out of daddy tax on the candy. Yeah. Lucas and Dax are trying to get away from that. How can people get away from, I shouldn't say get away from, but are there any tax planning opportunities yes. so we can pay less in taxes as we approach the end of 2019? Yes. That's exactly why we're doing this episode now, right? Perfect. We It's time. Most people, to me, and I, you tell me if you feel any differently, I always agree we'll, with you. We'll sh- you with smart moves. Whatever you say, I'm going to agree. Yeah. But most people will show up in January or February asking, what should I be doing about my taxes? Yeah. And they don't realize that the time to plan for your taxes is now. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's so many things you can do before December 31st. Right. That after that December 31st day comes and goes and it's the, the new year, a lot of the tax planning opportunities are gone. And these things aren't that hard. No. People hear tax planning and it's like, oh, I hate tax. Why would I want to think about tax planning? But Taxes it's not are scary, hard. Right? We just need to know what, what, what can we do? What options do we have? Right. So, so our goal today, we're just going to go through things that we think about for clients often. Mm-hmm. That we're just thinking through for, for clients. And then hopefully some of these apply to you all out there. Um, and of, of all things to share... Um, this is the episode to share with your friends. Yeah, share this with your friends. This is, this is something that everyone could use. There's nothing that's worse than getting to the beginning of the year and seeing someone who had these great options available to them but just missed them because they didn't know the deadlines. Exactly. So we're just going to give this, um, you know, by now, mo- the reason we think now is a good time to do this is because by now in November, typically you know how your year is going to shake out. Maybe you won't know about bonuses and whatnot um, until, you know, November... But typically by now, you have a sense of, here's my income, here's what cash flow is going to shake out to be, and you can start asking yourself some questions um, to take a look at things. So so the first thing I would start with is just, as we'd mentioned before, end of the year, you, you have to have paid itemized deductions. If you haven't done it yet, you don't get to do it on your tax return, right? What does that mean? So like pay your... Um, 
the interest on your mortgage, mm-hmm. right? Or pay a property tax bill or something like that. We'll get into what itemized deductions are more in detail in a little. Um, same thing for if you are a sole employer. If you're, sorry, if you're self-employed, this is the, you have to have a solo 401k opened by December 31st if you're going to utilize that strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, if you want to max out your 401k at work, has to be done by December 31st. December 31st. Yeah, those are kind of the big, big, big ones. Um, you want to take it from there? Yeah. Well, what about things like uh, IRAs and Roth IRAs and SEP IRAs? Same concept as 401ks. Yeah. But the difference is with an IRA or Roth IRA, so we're in 2019 now, yep. you have until April 15th of 2020 to actually make contributions to those types of accounts. Right. So IRA contributions, Roth IRA contributions, you can actually push those into that into the new year. Those mm-hmm. are the, some strategies we can still do after December 31st. And then those SEP IRAs, like you were just saying, up until the tax filing deadline, we can play with those as well. Yeah. So, so we have some extra time there. And I think it's good to start thinking about that now as we approach the end of the year, start taking a look at what your income is going to be. But one of the reasons you have until April to make those contributions is you may or may not qualify for a certain IRA or Roth IRA contributions until you fully know what what's called your adjusted or modified adjusted gross income. So if you're thinking about that, yes, that is something to think about, but you actually have until April 15th to make those contributions. So that's not necessarily something that has to be done by December 31st. Right. But if you're in corporate life and you know a bonus is coming and you're going to have extra cash hitting your account and and you're going to have extra cash flow, like you're not going to go into debt to do this, um, go check your 401k contribution. Did you max it out this year, right? So if you're under the age of 50, it's up to $19,000 can go into a 401k. If you're over the age of 50, it's $25,000 can go in your 401k. Um, Same thing with uh, another thing would be health savings accounts, right? Like if you're going to have really high income this year um, and you were already eligible for a health savings account and you were participating, did you max it out? If you didn't, see if you can. Yeah. And and you may have just said this, but yes, with a 401k, if you have a bonus coming in at the end of the year and you have yet to max out your 401k, so either 19,000 or 25,000, Allocate that bonus to the 401k. Yep. Literally just said that. You just said that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Like yep. I said, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> and sometimes what you say is so important that I, yeah, I totally. miss it and repeat it. Uh, okay. So what else, uh, from a tax planning perspective as well, if you have taxable accounts, so whether that's a, hopefully if you live in Southern California, you're married with kids and own a home, you have it in a trust account. Um, different episode for a different day. Go listen to, uh, learn all about estate planning. Um, But if you have a taxable account that you would pay taxes on, the gains and losses, go check and see what are your gains for the year or your losses for the year. You guys can, you can write off up to $3,000 of losses against your income on your tax return every year. So, so for example, I buy a stock in January for $10,000. The stock doesn't do well. It drops to $5,000 and I sell it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I have a loss, again, if this is outside of a retirement account, so this isn't inside of an IRA or 401k, this is inside of a taxable account, I have a loss of $5,000, I can write up, I can write off up to $3,000 of that this year, and the remaining 2,000 of losses can carry forward to the next year. Right, exactly. And you got anyone who wants to go see, do I have loss carry forwards? I don't know if I do. Just go check your 2018 tax return and look at Schedule D as in dog, and you will see the gains and losses that you had last year. Right. And if you had, like in, in your the example you just gave, if you'd done that in 2018, you would have had a $3,000 loss written off against your taxes, and then it would show $2,000 carrying forward to 2019. That I could use for this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Um, Taxos harvesting is another example. So uh, along the same line, what is ta- what is tax loss harvesting, and how can people use that if it makes sense for them? So tax loss harvesting is essentially what um, what you just gave the example of, right? So if we bought something this year and it hasn't performed well, we can sell it uh, and to to harvest that loss. We can use it against our income, right? Um, now, when you do that, ideally, what you want to do is you want to if you're selling. Um, you know, the S&P 500 index, you want to go buy an index that's similar, but not the same, because if it's the same, it comes under something called a wash sale rule. But buy something similar, hold it for the period of time that you need to hold the stock uh, so that you don't have what's called a wash sale rule, which we're not going to dive into that detail today. You guys can go look, or maybe you want to elaborate on it. And then eventually you can buy back into whatever you'd, you'd held once you hit those those dates. So you're keeping your investments, you're keeping the way you're invested the exact same or very similar. Mm-hmm. And you're going to take advantage of that loss that you can offset against your earned income. Exactly. $3,000. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Now, another thing to think about if maybe you, um, maybe you lost your job in 2018 and you didn't find a job this year in 2019. Uh, and you're thinking, well, there's no tax planning for me to do this year. I didn't make any money wrong if you have a taxable account if you have a taxable account with gains in it it's actually the year for you to do tax gain harvesting mm-hmm. instead of tax loss harvesting so capital gains on on um on on stock um, is actually a zero percent tax rate so long as your taxable income is under certain thresholds mm-hmm. So you may actually have the ability to book gains and pay no taxes if you're in a very low income tax bracket this year. Yeah. So something else to be thoughtful of. Yeah. And that's for for taxable accounts only, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And inside of non-taxable accounts, so say inside of an IRA or you have an IRA and you haven't worked this year, income is very low, you could also consider doing what's called a Roth conversion. Yep. So you could take money from a pre-tax account like an IRA and convert it to your Roth IRA. And if this is a very low income year for you, it might make sense to do that. So that would be something that you want to talk with your tax preparer about. But these are some things that you can take a look at doing if the if it's the right year to do it. Yep. Um, what about what when people talk about itemizing deductions or taking standard deductions? It's it's helpful to know that at the end of the year, what is the difference between that, Scott? Yeah, so um, itemized deductions and standard deductions basically mean a standard deduction means you don't have to do any math. You don't have to track anything down. If you're single in 2019, the deduction is $12,200. If you're a couple, it's $24,400. So let's just pretend for a second that um, uh, someone made... $24,400 of income this year. A married person. I'm just going to say any, any person. person. Okay. Let's just assume it's a single person first. Yes. They made $24,400 this year. Well, they would get an item, a standard deduction of $12,200. So their taxable income will actually be 12,4 minus 2,2. They will have $12,200 of taxable income mm-hmm. to, to base their tax rates off of. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what a standard deduction is. Um, if, if what you just said, if it was a couple, they would actually have zero taxable income, right? Because right. it would all reduce that amount. Now, the difference between a standard deduction and an itemized deduction is the itemized deduction, you start adding up different things to see if you have more deductions than whatever the standard amount is. So if I'm single and I work in the state of California and I paid income taxes on a hundred grand, I had easily $10,000 of 
uh, taxes of state and local taxes, right? Mm-hmm. If I own a property, I definitely hit that because it caps out at 10,000 on an itemized deduction. And then maybe I have a home mortgage as well. So maybe I just bought a home recently and I have another, let's just say $12,000 there. So now I have $22,000 of deduction versus 12,2 for a standard deduction. So I'm going to itemize. That's the difference. So if you can add up all the different categories and they add up to more than 12200 for a single person or 24400 for a married person, you're going to itemize instead of take the standard deduction. Way more succinct explanation than I was getting at. Yes, that's no. exactly it. And the things that you guys can itemize are um, medical and dental expenses, but that has a, a caveat to it. You have to take whatever your income is. Imagine your income was $100,000. You have to take $100,000 and multiply it times 7.5%. So $7,500 becomes the threshold, almost like that, do I itemize or not itemize? It now becomes the threshold at which I don't get to write any of this off unless it goes above Mm $7,500. And then it's only the amount that goes above $7,500. Only the amount that goes above. Yeah, it's not like you hit it and you get a windfall. So that rarely happens now, Mm -hmm. right? State and local taxes are now capped at $10,000. So that actually drove down the percentage of people who itemize. It used to be about 30% of Americans itemized. Now it'll probably be about 10%. I bet a lot of people in Southern California will itemize because they have mortgages that are on high loan balances. So they're probably going to hit itemizing. Um, And then the other thing are the interest paid on mortgages or something you typically see. Um, And then also gifts to charity happen in here a lot. Mm -hmm. And then there's something called casualty and theft loss, which doesn't hit people very often. Yeah. And the big ones there, for those listening, the biggest three are state taxes. Yep. State and local taxes. It's called SALT Mm -hmm. for short. Yeah. Interest paid on mortgages. So if you have a mortgage, not yep. your entire payment, but just the interest portion of your payments are deductible. Yep, on and a primary then, residence and secondary residence and HELOC if you used it for home for, improvements. For home improvements, right. Yep, up to $750,000 now, yep. And then gifts to charity. Yep. Like you said, we don't often see people with medical and dental expenses over 7.5% of their adjusted gross income. No, pretty rare. Uh, don't often see casualty and theft loss. So it's it's those big three. Um, and if you can add up those big three or really any of those and it's higher than your standard deduction, then you're going to itemize. If you can't, then that's fine too. You're going to either take the standard deduction of 12200 if you're single or 24400 if you are married. So let's get into why this matters, right? Because uh, we're talking about tax planning. Yeah. So most people, if you now are in the range where you're almost always going to get a standard deduction, but, or maybe you're on the cusp, Yeah. but you also, maybe you like to tithe to church on a regular basis, or you just like to give in specific ways. If you were always used to itemizing, you always got the tax benefit of doing so as well. Mm-hmm. So now if you might want to look at things like um, donating to charity in a lumpy way, meaning like instead of you and Ashlyn giving on a weekly basis to whatever chair or monthly basis, whatever charities you want to give to, what if instead we open for you a donor advised fund Mm -hmm. and we donate some either highly appreciated stock, or we just use some of that big bonus money and we give a bunch of it in this one year. So we get the itemizing benefit. So we get to itemize on the deduction and decrease our income, but then we'll have that donor advised funds really just an account on your balance sheet. And you guys can give from that over the next three, four five years. Right. Right. And so let's, let's, let's use an example. So let's say that Ashlyn and I, we paid uh, 10000 per year in California taxes. And let's assume, so we don't have a mortgage, so, so no, no mortgage interest deduction. But let's assume, just for the sake of this example, we donate $14,400 to charity each year. Right. So if we do that, 
our itemized deduction would be 24400 which right. is exactly the same amount that we could get just with a standard deduction. Mm-hmm. So instead of paying that state taxes every year and, and, and donating 14400 the concept would be what if we donated $0 one year and then maybe we doubled it up the next year mm-hmm. or put it into a donor-advised fund the next year, something like that. Yep. So that way in the year that we don't do any of the giving – at least direct from our paycheck, mm-hmm. uh, we're still getting the standard deduction of 24400 And in the following year, well, now we're donating double, so we get the 28800 plus the 10000 we're paying in property taxes. It's just allowing you to take advantage of the deductions for your giving that you might not get otherwise. Exactly. That's it. Awesome. Um, another key consideration is go look at last year's tax return. If you got a big refund, take this moment to go look at your withholdings and see if you should change them. Um, the 2018 and 2019 tax rates are essentially the same. Yeah. So if you got a huge refund from Uncle Sam, well, then you gave them a tax-free loan throughout the year. And you could probably be doing something else with that cash. And that's important because tax law changed last year. So between 2017 and 2018, tax law changed. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people's withholdings was all over the place. Right. Some, a, a lot of people underwithheld because of that. Right. Some people overwithheld just with this tax law change. And so if that was you, instead of either getting a whole bunch back or paying a whole bunch when it comes time to file taxes, figure this out so that you can get your cash flow just right each month without having to get a whole bunch back or pay a whole bunch when it comes time to file. That's so it. make sure that your withholdings are um, lining up with where they should be. Yep. Um, for small business owners, be mindful of two things. One is es- um, estimated payments. So if you make most of your money on your own and, and you're not having a bunch of money withheld by like your, you know, we were talking earlier about um, W-2 pay, right? Like the we just kind of get our stuff withheld and we don't really think about it. Um, well, if you make your own money for yourself, you have to go put money away in estimated payments throughout the year to avoid penalties. Yeah. So just be mindful of that. Check in on it. Check in with your accountant and see if you guys put away the right amount. Make sure there's, you can look at whether or not you're safe harbored by the percentage that you need to put away relative to last year's taxable income mm-hmm. um, so that you can make sure that you're safe. Um, so that's something good to look at. And the other component for small business owners is be mindful of this new thing called qualified business income. You may have started to see that on your tax return last year, but now you get to about 20% of your net business income is a deduction now for Mm -hmm. you. So you want to be thoughtful about how to derive your income in, in a manner that you can to optimize that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. What about 529 plans? Uh, 529s, most states, you know, for the December 31st framework that we're giving, um, if your state doesn't give you a tax benefit, you probably don't need to worry about it. If they do give you a tax benefit, make sure that if you need to fund and there's a 1231 deadline, you've done so. Right. So you get the benefit. And this doesn't apply to people in California, as we talked about on prior episode. There's right. no, no tax benefits if you're in California to making a 529 plan contribution. Right. But if you are in a state that does give you tax benefits, um, make sure that that's something that you're doing if you're trying to reduce your taxes. Absolutely. And then for our clients who are over 70 and a half, uh, or if you have an inherited IRA, make sure that you've taken your required minimum distribution for the year. And that's important because if you don't... You have to pay a penalty. You have a very significant penalty. Uh, you don't want to pay that penalty. It's 50%. Yeah, don't do that. And if you do have a required minimum distribution and you don't get to itemize your deductions anymore and you still really like giving to charities, well, then use a portion of your required minimum distribution as a qualified charitable gift because by doing that, it reduces your 
taxable income, right. which makes it so that you can utilize the, the benefit and strategy for yourself and for your taxes. And that's a strategy because if you are not itemizing your deductions, and you're taking your standard deduction, um, you may not get to deduct that charitable contribution. That's exactly it, right? Like if you're if you don't get to itemize your deductions any longer, you don't get to write off your charitable donation. Right. But if you go ahead and give through a charitable qualified gift, which there's specific rules for doing so, but if you do it, you just reduce your taxable income. You're not reporting that income. Exactly. Awesome. So that was a lot. Yeah, there's a couple things they can look at. But again, like nothing's I hope it doesn't come across as overly complicated. There is a lot here to unpack. Mm -hmm. But if any of these things are, you're like, oh, that could be me. Well, then reach out to your tax preparer and ask them questions about this. I mean, the thing is like tax preparers to me are really good at looking in the rear view mirror and really good at recording what happened last year. What you want to do is take a moment to look forward and look at what you should be doing to help you optimize for the coming year. Right. Right. And there's a lot of stuff here and not all this will apply to everyone. There's not a single person that every single one of these things will apply to. But if one of these things or two of these things are applicable to you, then great. Yeah. Take that opportunity to talk with your tax player, planner or your advisor and make sure that you can uh, do the right thing over the next month or two of the year and save a bunch of taxes. Absolutely. So if you um, if you found this to be useful or you think it would be useful for someone else, like share it right? The whole point of this whole podcast is just to help empower people to make, hopefully get educated so everyone can make better financial choices for themselves. So if you like this, share it with people who, who it can help them as well. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode number 20 of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. We hope you're enjoying the show. And for a list of the notes from today's episode, please head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co and find episode number 20. If you're enjoying the podcast and you haven't already done so, please subscribe. We release a new episode every Wednesday morning so that you can be the first to know. And if you're enjoying the episode, please leave us a five-star review. It would help more people find the episode, and we really enjoy hearing what you all think. If you have a question that you want us to answer on a future podcast, then again, head over to the Real Personal Finance website, and there will be a section on the bottom of each page where you can submit your very own question that Scott and I will answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.